As a Gen Zer, I've been asked many times, does my whole life revolve around my phone? And as much as I'd like to say yes, unfortunately, it doesn't. Now, I can't speak for my entire generation and say that every single Gen Zer is not glued to their phone, but there is a chunk of us, a portion of us, an underrepresented amount of us that believe that our lives actually compose of having real conversations like we do today. Isn't that right, Caroline? Yes. So today, our question of the week for our podcast that you're listening to go off is, did we really grow up with tech? From people born in 1997 to 2012, we've had an interesting relationship to tech and how we've been brought up with it and how it's affected our lives. I'm Glow Robinson. And I'm Caroline Bonnerberger. And you're listening to the podcast, Go Off. But before we get started, let's hear what the public had to say about this issue. I was born in 2000. I was born in 1997. For me, growing up, technology wasn't something I got to regularly use. It was more of a special privilege to have that time with it. Yeah, even growing up, I had a computer room that was like locked at all times until I was done with my homework. I finished dinner, I did all my chores, and then I could go on for like 30 minutes and play like Club Penguin or something. Hi, I was born in the year 2000, and I think I grew up with tech, but it wasn't completely central to my life. I grew up in Massachusetts in Silicon Valley, so it's always been an aspect of my life. However, my family has really pushed me to play outside and do sports, so I've never really been a sit-at-home computer person. So I was born in the year 2000, and I probably grew up with way too much tech. <laughs> My parents like really spoiled me, and they wanted me to have like an iPad and a DS and a Wii, and so I was almost kind of overwhelmed with all the stuff that I had. But now I'm very anti-tech, and I don't like being surrounded by screens all the time, which is weird because that's what I was used to growing up with. So after hearing these thoughts, we wanted to kind of uh, give you some statistics about the truth of how much Gen Z is on the technology and specifically social media uses. So to get started, a lovely statistic is that 71% of Gen Zers use Snapchat more than six times a day and 51% use them at least 11 times per day. Caroline, how accurate do you think this is? I think that's somewhat accurate. If I'm just waiting for an elevator before I go to work or I'm waiting before class, I find myself just clicking mindlessly through Instagram, through Snapchat, through Facebook. It's something to distract you from doing nothing. Absolutely. I feel like this sense of when we don't have anything immediate to do, we just naturally just go on our phone to check something, be constantly entertained. Yeah, I feel like we're a constantly distracted generations just by having our smartphones, even if I've been on Instagram 11 times that day, I'm going to go on it a 12th time, even though it's all the same stuff. It's just to keep my mind off of other things or just, I don't know, pass the time. So Caroline, why do you think uh, these apps are, are addictive or make you go on them time and time again as I, a Gen Zer? I think I saw a video. I forget from which publication it was. I think it was Vox, perhaps. It was a video about why social media was so addicting, and it was because of the endless scroll. So for apps like Instagram and Facebook, if you're going through your feed, there's no stop to it. Like, it's all just new information that you're getting. And because every piece of it's new, like, you're 
brain gets a little dopamine rush from it. Like, oh, what's going to come next? It's kind of like you're playing uh, a slot machine over and over and over again to find something cool. So I think it's pretty easy to get addicted to these things or at least the feeling of these things when they have the same psychology that you use for slot machines. But haven't you ever felt lonely or actually sad going on social media? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's so funny because I remember, especially in like beginning of freshman year or last year or last semester, being like left out, even if it wasn't necessarily my friends who were going out without me, but just being left out of things. But I'd still go on social media anyway. And I'd have to stop myself. I know so many people who took breaks from social media when they started college because they understood that it was making them lonely. I did not. Um, but <laughs> cause I use my social media also for like media and stuff like that. But I applaud those people who do that, who take a break from social media. I agree. I totally agree with that. I, for one, actually turned my phone into black and white. Because nice. a fun little fact is that social media, like the Facebook blue or the Twitter blue or the Instagram colors are actually rather addictive. No. And so for me, I found that I go on my phone less because I'm not addicted because all the photos are black and white. And also fun tip, if you still want to see what your friends are doing, but not feel so depressed about it, black and white just makes everything better. I swear. It's like, you know, a lot of my friends are like, oh, my God, you must be so depressed that your phone is in black and white. You know what I say? I'm like, it's a vintage twist on reality. You know, <laughs> it's like I want to carry my 20th century-esque of me born in 1999, I guess, and carry it around with me in my pocket in the 21st century. It's so postmodern. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. We're, we're hitting new eras. Us Gen Zers, we're creative. We, we think outside the box or think outside the phone. Wow. Meta moment over here. So another statistic that I wanted to bring up, by the way, all these statistics I got from uh, the researcher Ryan Jenkins, who is an expert in millennial and Gen Z generations. Um, So another statistic that he cited was that 42% of Gen Z say that social media affects self-esteem compared to 31% of millennials, 23% of Gen X and 20% of baby boomers. That's interesting because I would think that for Gen Z it would be higher. That I think people are too, they don't want to admit that to themselves. But I think we are the generation to be open about it. I don't know. That's more of like a personal thing though. Like I can. Compared to other generations. Compared to other generations, yes. But I just think that there's definitely a higher percent. That's definitely a higher percentage, but people just don't want to admit it to themselves because they don't want to be that stereotype that boomers and older generations have set up for us of always being on our phone. Because also, I don't know if you had this, but like in middle school and even in high school, we had like so not social media classes, but like media literacy classes that we all had to take. And it was basically just like, be smart on social media. Don't do stupid things. Social media isn't your entire life. So, like, we're taught that from, like, an early age, like, oh, social media isn't everything. But we still internalize it, and it still is. It affects how we perceive ourselves and 
the interactions we have with other people. So I, I don't know. I think that percentage is much higher than what's reported. Oh, absolutely. I'd say, I'd say probably at least it's maybe 60% or Mm -hmm. even higher, but I think it's, it's the issue of understanding we're not, and I don't think any generation's really been specifically taught about this issue, but about where we find our identity. Mm -hmm. And I think what's been interesting is the fact that we have used social media as a way to cultivate a fake identity, whether it's through, you know, having this profile, of all your perfect moments. Mm. I mean, we there is the counterculture-esque idea that you will be posting things that are more like yourself, more authentic, more real. You know, it's like a Saturday night and you're studying and you're staying in, so you're going to take a photo of that. But it's much more likely to see see someone being like, oh, I'm at my prom, or oh, it's my six-month anniversary, or it's like all the highlights. And so I think we put on these facades that really don't show the true meaning of who we are, And so then when that's not the norm, it's difficult to actually connect internally with yourself. I guess this was in March or so, but I did a research project. It was like a short little presentation on mental health and reducing the stigma around mental health. And I did a whole presentation on that. And then after that presentation, I went home and I posted like a picture on Instagram that kind of summarized the points that I made in that presentation And I actually, there was another girl in my class who I think she did something on uh, self-esteem and social media. And I like tagged her in that as well. I'm like, oh, you inspired me to do this. So, yeah. And then it was interesting, the response from that. People DMing me their personal stories or even just commenting on my posts like, oh, I'm here for you. Mental health is something that we all deal with, especially with social media, because it makes it so much worse. That's why I wanted to share like an authentic experience. People don't share the bad stuff as much as they do the good stuff. But I'm trying to hold myself accountable and doing an equal share, at least. That's interesting. That's yeah, I'd say for me personally, I don't really post a lot on social media I mean, I'd say the most I'm I'm on social media a little bit more because we're running our social media accounts. So you should totally check out those. Yes. But I honestly don't like social media at all. I don't find it to be something where I can have genuine human connection with. And I think this is something we'll tap down, tap on later in our conversation, if not in future conversations on our podcast about how Gen Z really craves a human connection and what has the downfall been of how social media has impacted that. I use social media, I think, mainly to see what the friends who I miss, what they're up to. Sure. I There's only so many times where I can sit down and FaceTime a friend of mine from home or a family member of mine who I haven't seen in a while. And I always get so happy when I see a picture that they've posted of something they've done recently um, yeah, or sure. even just like a snap that they sent it just it makes me happy it makes me think of them in a busy world as a college student it's sometimes hard to keep in contact with all those people and facetime them all the time or call them or text them so it's just a nice reminder of me for me of the people i like and the people i miss 
Yeah, I think that that's one. I think that's a really valid point. And I think that's something later our guest appearance will be talking about yes. as well. Um, so make sure to stay tuned. I think another interesting percentage that I think segues really nicely that um, Jenkins also brought up was that 82% of Gen Z thinks carefully about what they put on social media. And I think that's a fascinating statistic or question to ask first off in a survey second off the i think the actual number percentage is is interesting as well i think the first part that makes this intriguing is the fact of what do we think of as careful so whenever i make a post i always think would my grandmother approve now we could get really philosophical and go back to the um, like a Kantian philosophical perspective <laughs> on our reasoning and our rationality for doing something what the end goal is we I believe that I put on careful things carefully, but I do notice that Gen Zers are a little bit more mindful. This is just me compared to millennials when it comes to posting things, because I think from if I'm not mis mistaken that, you know, when millennials were growing up, tech was so new that they didn't know what the consequences mm -hmm. would be. So if you look on, you know, a 30 year olds, you know, Facebook page or maybe 35 there, there might, there's more likely to be something really stupid or raunchy. Like mm -hmm. I remember my seventh grade teacher saying, please don't look at my Facebook profile. There are things from college that my friends tagged me in and I can't get them off. Mm -hmm. So of course we all looked it up anyway, at Mr. Keyback, if you're ever listening to this, <laughs> I still haven't looked at your Facebook page personally, <laughs> but anyway, I think that Gen Zers were told, oh, employers are going to look at this shit. So you know, I've never really felt, you know, obligated. And also I'm just like, I don't want to have something that I'm not owning or proud of, or I'm like consenting to be on the internet. Of mm -hmm. me. Back to those media literacy classes. One of the things they told us about in those is just don't be stupid on the internet. Employers will see them. That's why you see so many People our age with like fake Facebook names, like my Facebook name is not my first name and last name. And I know so many other people who also do something like that. And even with Instagram, so many people keep their accounts on private. And so many people, if they are doing something bad, I don't know, they put like a little emoji on it. <laughs> this was more of a thing in high school with underage drinking where if you were like if you, you took a picture with your friend, you put like a little emoji over the beer you were drinking. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I So fun fact about me, I didn't get an Instagram till my junior year and I was really opposed to the idea for a really long time because I was just like, I don't want to be part of this. This is so pointless. It's just a waste of my time. It's a waste of my data. You know, those big media companies are taking over my data rates. Um, so to me, I just never found any use. I'm like, I'll just read the New York Times and stand in line instead because I was that kid. I, I love journalism. But then my junior year, somehow I was convinced of this. And so I finally got one. And I don't think it really made me happier at all. I got an Instagram in sixth grade. My friend Jasmine made me get one. Oh, my gosh. And Drinking the Kool-Aid, Caroline. Yes, exactly. And if you would have seen my Instagram in sixth grade, it's, it was a sixth graders Instagram. I think my username was something. I, I remember I like I would change it a lot. So there would be like a time where it was something about like the wanted, like that, you know, British boy band, the wanted. There was a time where it was something about my dog. And I would post all this random silly stuff. But then 
I would just follow people from like my middle school who I were friends with. Nobody had Instagrams back then, back in sixth grade. So I was friends with like maybe 50 people and I posted Disney memes that I found on the internet and I followed like Disney fan accounts, fan edit accounts. I'd make my own fan edits of Disney stuff. Looking back on it, Instagram is very nostalgic for me and it serves a different purpose in my life than it did back in sixth grade. It's evolved and honestly, it's become a, I guess, a bigger part of my life than it was in sixth grade. Interesting. Interesting. I remember at the end of sixth grade, it came out for us. And I remember like I had an Instagram account for a very brief time, I think going into seventh grade because I was behind the times very much like I'm not going to get an Instagram account. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm always trying to like reverse our generation. But I remember um, not really knowing what to post because I felt like it had to be perfect. And I don't know if that was a me issue, but I also felt like the Instagram aesthetic was so like forceful to be like perfect, perfect images like that. That whole culture, at least where I was from in California, was very apparent. Or you would have like goofy. Fo- it was all about like making yourself have like this really cool lifestyle more than anything. Like, you know, going to parties or like, you know, going to the beach or things like that. But it was like I, I wouldn't find a lot of pictures that were like just really like I don't know goofy that wasn't a thing in sixth grade but it became a thing in middle school where social media accounts were supposed to be I guess picture books of you living your best prettiest life yeah and I was late to that I suppose I posted Disney stuff late into eighth grade some cringy stuff Um, And then in ninth grade, I did like a whole purge, I guess, of my Instagram, all the old pictures I had on there because Instagram changed. Now it was that picture book that had to be perfect. And I had to get rid of all these silly middle school things that I had on it still. I guess it was it was coming from coast to coast. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that that's a really... I think that's a really interesting trend and I think it's gotten really like worse over time. Mm. Um, And so I'm really grateful that I don't have to really deal with that nearly to the degree or it doesn't affect me. But I also feel like that's part of our development too. That's been a huge issue. So Caroline, I want to bring it back to the aspect of being born earlier than tech really hitting its peak. So I was born in 1999. I was born in 2000. And it was interesting because we were born right around the tech boom, but tech wasn't de- hadn't developed nearly to the degree that it has today. And so I think when people think this is just as a Gen Z or what I have experienced that people assume like, oh, you've had technology your whole life. Even though that might technically be true. Yeah, dial up was still around that kind of a thing, but it wasn't it wasn't played the role emotionally, physically. It hadn't become a lifestyle essential that we needed. So I wanted to kind of discuss further, what was it like growing up? I remember in eighth grade, we had to read a book called Tubes by Andrew Bloom. And it's about the physical internet and the fiber optic cables that make up it. And we had to read that for eighth grade. And then we had to do like a response paper, I guess. And it was, I honestly forget the prompts, but either way, I remember being like in eighth grade. And this was after years of people saying like, oh, you, you know, you grew up with so much tech. You don't know anything else. But like, 
then I started thinking, well, I don't know, that's not necessarily true. You know, I bet you grew up like this too, where we had like a desktop computer with like visible tubes that would connect to the router that would connect, you know, outside of your house and into the ground and all that stuff. And we got our first Apple product, like our first, yeah, it was actually our first Apple product in general. It was the iPad touch that we had um, in when I was in sixth grade. So it was more like, I don't know, growing up with tech, it wasn't as pervasive because we didn't have smartphones as much as children do now. Yeah. Like my, I know so many children I babysit and my little cousins, they, they actually did grow up with smartphones and just always having that entertainment available to them. Now we had other stuff. We had like DSs and all that, but that's not, that's not the same at all. That's nowhere near the same, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. So growing up with tech for me, well, my dad really, like, as a hobby, liked to build computers. So we did have, like, a, a computer or two in our house. But it was the kind of thing, like, where it was, like, the family computer. My dad mm-hmm. had a computer and, like, you know, I would get to go on it and play Kid Picks yes, or um, I'm trying to remember. Pack Rat was a thing. Yeah, I remember. I recall that, I think. Yeah, we there was like a pack rat version. I remember playing that. I was like obsessed mm-hmm. with it. Um, and so there was little things like that. You had to buy discs for like apps that you wanted. You can yeah. just download it on the iTunes or like you can download it on iTunes or the yeah. app store. That wasn't in creation yet. Like we, we remember the computers being boxes. Yes. Um, and so the thing is, when you had a play date or you'd hang out with your friends back in the day, your options were really to either A, play outside and be imaginative and creative and pretend that you could fly and all those fun things. Or you could say, your parents might say, go watch a movie on the VCR. Yes, yes. the VCR. Let me just repeat that one more time. <laughs> VCR. Sorry, I know I might be sounding condescending here, but I just want to let people know that we had VCRs. Yes. That was a thing. But essentially the aspects were where you could go read a book. That was really literally the three. Or you could draw. It was like non-tech options, really. Well, also, I mean, I remember being, I guess, late elementary school and going to a friend's house and it was more then you had the options of, do you want to play Wii? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, of course I want to play some Wii oh, yeah, and we Wii play like fun. Wii sports. Or it would also be, do you want to, well, first we'd ask mom first, we'd say, can we go on the computer? Right. So then we would go on the computer and it would usually be watching YouTube videos with your friends and showing each other YouTube videos that you like, or it would be going on like webkins and watching each other play webkins. We didn't have our own devices. We just had this one shared device and it was a very collective experience. It was, it was a collective experience. It was very collective or, you know, I think for me, what I remember the most was like, I think iTunes had, it was around, I was probably around 10 or 11, like barely, but you, but it was like really expensive to buy music. So what our, my friends would do is they'd bring their CDs because we use CD players to jam in our rooms. Yes. And, you know, we'd import it that way. Or if you really wanted a song, you'd have to ask your mom, can you buy the song for $1.29? Yes. Then you would have the song on iTunes. Then you would download it to your iPod Shuffle yes. or iPod Touch. iPod Shuffles. Okay, I remember when those came out. That was the shit. We just had a, fa- we had a shared family uh, iPod Nano. And then we lost it. And then we got a new iPod Nano. Good yeah. times. 
Yeah, so I remember I was like eight or nine when I convinced my parents to get me an iPod and it was pink and it was so cool. It's probably still in my house somewhere. But, you know, it was that aspect of like hooking up your headphones in that they would give you. But then the iPhone came out. Uh, I think when we were, I think it was like 2007. Yes. But let's make it very clear that, you know, iPhones were kind of like that almost like a Tesla in the sense of only like the really wealthy people had it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the average person, at least where I lived, would wait a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it's so new. It's too new. I don't know what to do about this. I remember being in like Girl Scouts or going over to like, I don't know, events with other people and they kids would be like, oh my gosh, guys, my mom has an iPhone. Let me go get it and let me show you the app where you just pop bubble wrap. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, like it was wild. And I remember also like when my dad, he got an iPhone for his company back in the day. My sisters and I would like fight over who would get to play like City Story or whatever on it. Sure. Yeah, it is really funny to think back about that. But I think the way... You know, when we were bored or when we didn't have anything to do, technology wasn't always an answer. And I think that's kind of the main one of the main takeaways that we're trying to get at is the fact that we grew up in a place where technology wasn't the answer of like pacifying the time. Mm -hmm. It was it was really like where you were kind of out in the dust, like if you had nothing to do, like if it's. You know, I mean, I'd watch a lot of TV, but it wasn't like I could carry my TV around with me if we went on a long car ride or something like that. Technology is something different for for us now. And I guess it would be something a little different to the millennials or even the older Mm -hmm. gen or like the oldest Gen Z kids who used it and grew up around it. Like it's something different for everyone when the iPhone was released or even like the first smartphone was released. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think another point that I thought was fascinating is when schools really tried to integrate technology. Mm -hmm. I think to me that was a really interesting guinea pig experiment because we were kind of the age where schools like either got funding or, you know, stay competitive. Like I'm talking about middle schools really Mm -hmm. would integrate iPads into the curriculum. And so I remember I went to a Catholic school in seventh grade and they had just bought like iPads iPad twos for literally the seventh grade class. And I remember a teacher was like really excited about this. So every opportunity we had to use an iPad and Mm -hmm. I felt it to be so unnatural. I hated it a little bit. It was weird. I remember that too. In middle school, they had like every couple of classrooms or so they had like shared iPads, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like there was maybe like 10 iPads and then like I don't know, you'd partner with someone and you'd do stuff on it. And the teachers, they, like, kind of knew what the technology was. Like, they'd go to trainings for all that stuff. But even then, they weren't familiar with that sort of programming. We were a little bit more familiar just through leisure time stuff, but not even really. Like, I remember doing a stop-motion video project in seventh grade using an iPad, using iMovie, and we were supposed to, like, make it, you know, it was about a uh, cell division. Mm-hmm. And we had to, like, model it with clay. And I remember using it. And it took forever to do. 
It was so unnecessary. And because each, like, frame, it did, like, the Ken Burns effect. Like, we had to, yeah. like, manually take it out for each one. And the teacher didn't know how to do it. And we didn't know how to do it. It just got weird. And then over time, of course, uh, like, when we got to high school, everyone got their own iPad. And that's when the teachers were able to make it more natural. Like, we used it, we used our iPads a lot, like, notebooks. Like, we had Notability. And we'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Write all, we'd do all of our, like, write our notes on that. We would do our homeworks on Notability. So there was just, like, a learning curve, I think, from when schools first started, started to implement technology. And then over time, I, it became more natural. I mean, I use a computer for taking notes in class. Right. I don't know if I'd go back to the iPad, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the iPad, I think at least, like, at that age, for me, felt really unnatural because I was so used to taking things like pen and paper, mm -hmm. like, pen and paper, like, really basically, because that's how I would remember things. But mm -hmm. I think also some of the assignments just felt very much like, oh, because it's on technology, like, yes. we have to do it now, as yes. opposed to, well, you know, it would have just been easier if it was, like, a paper <laughs> and pen situation over here. That's so true. But... You know, I think that also I don't know if technology is necessarily good in that oh, yeah. aspect either. That's that like the ethical question, you know, because I don't think that you necessarily need to use technology integrated into a curriculum. I understand why in the sense of, oh, you know, our world is progressing, yada, yada, yada. But is it actually practical? I don't know if it's necessary, but actually, no, let me go back on that. I don't think that it's practical all the times but i think it's necessary in a society sure. that we're growing into in a sure. world that's becoming more technologically integrated it's necessary for people to understand some form of uh technol technological literacy because if not then we're gonna end up with a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing on their phones and you know how annoying it is when you have to help an old person sometimes with Facebook or, or whatever. Or not a, even that, but using it irresponsibly. The media yes. literacy is huge. Oh, yes. I mean, 2016 election? Sorry, mm -hmm. elephant in the room. Anyway, conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. But I think the I think the aspect of, you know, integrating technology is really important, and I don't want to discount that, but I think the implementation is really key. And to explain to the kids why, when to use it and why you should use it, and how mm -hmm. can this be a resource as opposed to, you know, other ways that it can manifest and become. Use it mindfully. Use, use it, it with mindfully. a purpose. Yeah. Know what you're doing with the resources that you're given like a computer is a tool a ipad is a tool used for specific things i mean you know there's a lot of things you can do with them but you should do it responsibly and know why you're doing it with those things and if it's practical to do it with those things absolutely i think the other aspect in terms of responsibility i mean is not just on the user but is on the company. So Caroline, shifting the conversation slightly is mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about tech and how it's involved as a Gen Zer and data privacy? I remember watching the uh, Senate hearing for Mark Zuckerberg. And Which one? The first one. It was okay. the first one. And the senators who were asking the questions, they didn't understand Facebook and it was kind of like Mark Zuckerberg, he couldn't answer their questions as fully as he could or as comprehensively as he could 
because he was trying to explain his technology to these old people. So the people who are making the laws regarding privacy and who are supposed to hold people like Mark Boy over here, people who are supposed to hold him accountable for, uh, you know, laws that he could or could not be breaking, they don't know what they're dealing with. They don't know how technology is, the nature of it. And until we get lawmakers who truly understand how technology works and how it's implemented by people and companies, then like it makes perfect sense why there is a whole data issue with that because they don't have appropriate laws to protect people from that sort of thing. And they're not going to until the lawmakers have some understanding about how companies like Facebook will work. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of ethical issues with how tech companies are collecting our data and then selling it or using it or making a profit off of it. I don't think it's necessarily, I think there is an ethical issue of the fact of just doing that in general, like, you know, making money off of someone else's behavior and it's not yours. But I think the other issue is what are you exactly stealing from us? What are you exactly collecting? I mean, Look, when I think of someone watching over me, like I think of like, you know, Big Brother 1984, mm -hmm. I don't want to think that my Facebook account is being Big Brothered over here. Mm -hmm. And I think these issues, especially among the Gen Z population, get constantly brought up and we constantly have all these opinions about it. Some people don't care. Some people are very opposed to it. Then there's people in between. I think we do see a lot more of a rise of, at least of, among my generation, of people wanting to go into career paths to deal with this issue because I think it is you know, a human rights issue in the 21st century in the sense of not having your data being stolen. Mm -hmm. I think me personally on my stance is it's not that... For me, personally, I don't really care what you're doing, but I want to know what the details are. I want to know what what is going on. You know, I want to see a barometer of what you're checking that I know. I care what you're doing. I want to know what you're doing with my information. And, you know, it doesn't have like if you're using my information to bombard me with ads that you think I'd like. I'm, I guess I'm okay with that. It's kind of annoying, but, you know, chances are I'll probably click on the ad anyway. But if you're selling my information to third-party companies and they're doing some shady stuff with it, then that's not okay with me. Who told right. you that you could share where I live, my family members, how old I am, uh, so many details about me sure. to these strangers like I didn't give consent to that right no exactly and I think the thing is it's still unclear to us what exactly is going on and mm -hmm. I think that we've just grown up with this notion or you know this notion's being passed around oh my god data's bad oh my god these big companies are bad I think they're bad for a number of other reasons mm -hmm. you know I I understand the whole breach of I'm just trying to bring people together yes we get it Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> you're trying to bring people together because you couldn't bring people together so you came up with the solution congratulations i'm so glad it worked out for you but i think to me i really want to know i really want to understand what what is the ethic ethical issues that you're thinking about as you make these decisions for your profit models that's what i'm really curious about is what is your ultimate goal you know mm -hmm. a fun little fact is back in august of this year 2019 there's this organization called business roundtable where all the ceos meet you name it they're there and basically 200 of them signed for the big the top companies of the world saying that their new priority is not profit but it's social responsibility for that all their stakeholders should feel valued 
Now, we've heard this time and time again, but with these tech companies, I really think it applies to them more than any other than any other company right now, especially in the sense that they have so much power because they're taking over the world because they know that people crave that essence of connecting. You know, it's it's interesting because on Kara Swisher, they were saying that without, te- you know, if you were starting a business, you'd have to use Facebook. You would have to use Google mm-hmm. for these outlets mm-hmm. to be successful. And I think it is a little bit Big Brother-like when these are our only options and there's lack of competition because they just keep buying them out. Oh, definitely, yes. It's creating a technological monopoly almost where the people who are approved by Facebook, they're given all the power over all the other smaller businesses that maybe don't follow the Facebook seal of approval for whatever reasons and whatever that standard might be. Right. Exactly. And I think as Gen Zers, we almost want to fight that. We want to combat that. And we want to say, okay, well, we want our, we want our rights. We want, we are opinionated. Mm -hmm. We're not going to follow for this anymore. And it's interesting because I think, I think first off as a Gen Z perspective, Facebook's kind of going out the door. Yes. Like, if I were to post something on Instagram versus Facebook, all my friends are going to like that post on Instagram. It's not going to be Facebook. I use Facebook to keep in touch with my family members more than I do with friends. Yeah, I agree. Same here. And our family members are Gen Xers. Yes. I mean, I Gen think Xers and older. Gen Xers and older. But I think as a Gen Zer, the problems with Facebook is that there's too much going on. I'm sorry, your ex, your UX sucks. Yes, I'm so confused. The, the, yeah, it sucks actually. Like, like we, like as in, you know, we've we've grown up with with computers longer than any generation, and I'm still yeah. confused by your yeah. UX design. Sorry, Facebook. And I think that we like things that are simple. Mm-hmm. I I think it's cool that they're trying to do a million features, whether it's dating, whether it's becoming a news source which i think is a terrible idea or if you're trying to sell propaganda which i really don't approve of but i think to me well the reason why as a gen zer i don't like facebook is because there's just too much going on yes yes i agree with that 100 percent. it's just such a bad software because they just they inform you about the stupidest stuff that you don't care about and then the stuff you do care about they don't recognize that usually at least that's what it is with my account sure. and the feed is just so long yeah it's just insanely it's so hard to find what you like and gen yes. zers are all about categories we really like knowing what's the top liked post what's mm-hmm. you know we like statistics we like categorization we don't like the endless feeds like we've got things to do yes i mean that's back to that whole endless scroll thing and how addictive it is i don't even like facebook that much but when i'm bored i'm just gonna scroll on there and i'm gonna get a million different random Playbill and Broadway.com articles that I haven't seen because Facebook doesn't do things chronologically. So they just give me whole blocks of accounts that I follow. But like Facebook didn't let me know that they posted stuff. It's wild. Yeah, it's really disorganized. And I think that's that's a huge issue with Gen Z. (laughs) I think at least with Pinterest, it's a little bit more organized in the sense of your feed you can kind of see it more at a glance. I think they do a much better job with that. And I think uh, what what's really nice about it is it's really simple. It's just one feed, one scroll, and it is chronological from my understanding mm-hmm. of when things were posted. And the user face is really straightforward. 
-hmm. we don't like a lot of things going on. Yes. We really don't. Okay. So if anyone from Facebook is listening to this, we like things to be simple. If you want to rope us back in, I'm just saying, giving you free (laughs) advice out here. But I think uh, another another thing that's interesting is about Snapchat and that aspect and how it has, you know, these apps affected us on like a mental health level. I know we talked about this earlier, but I want to kind of like go a little bit more in depth with this. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I get sort of a dopamine rush when I get like a Snapchat from someone. I'm like, ooh, like what's this going to be? Especially because it's like red. Like, red's a very attractive and very uh, alert color. So when you see that you got a snap, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's this going to be? And your brain gets all excited. And then, I don't know, I think I use Snapchat a little differently than other people from my generation just because I was a little late to the Snapchat game. Like, I got mine senior year of high school. Oh, wow. So I don't, like, have as many friends or whatever as other people. And I usually, like, with my stories... I don't know. I just post random stuff that I don't post on Instagram on there. It is, it's, I, I think it's more, it's obviously I think more casual than Instagram just because everything's so quick and it disappears after not too long. So it does make me kind of left out even if it doesn't need to. Like I just feel left out if it's a weekend night and I'm on Instagram. I'm like going through everyone's stories and they're all at parties just because you don't usually post about that stuff on Instagram. You usually post that on, you reserve that for Snapchat. And then I get like left out. So that kind of sucks, but whatever. <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating. So I got a Snapchat, I think, when I was my freshman year of high school. And I think, you know, I was bored in high school, so I used it a lot more. Coming to college, like, I've really gotten really bad with the streaks. And I think streaks, so for anyone who doesn't use Snapchat, streaks are basically where they put this little, like, um, emoji next to your next to the person that you are consistently Snapchatting, but you do it within a 24-hour time. Mm-hmm. You send each other back and forth pictures. And I think the reason why people are really drawn to Snapchat is it's a really nice way of visually showing or updating someone what you're up to, mm-hmm. as opposed to writing it down because we're really late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we are a little lazy in, the, mm-hmm. in our generation. And I think it's a way of connecting in the sense of you can see someone's face, you can see a facial expression. It is a message of humanity if you really think about it. I like to do funny things on Snapchat. Like, I like to take pictures of silly stuff or I like to draw silly or stuff. Or zoom in to someone because they have like a weird facial expression. Yeah, exactly. It's a chance for you to... Be your silly self because you're not going to post that on Instagram or Facebook. That's reserved for Snapchat. Like you're going to share that fun visual joke with your really close friends. Exactly. And so I think I think the the interesting part about Snapchat is it is a very revealing way about explaining what you're doing in real time if you use it in that dimension. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like you were saying, Caroline, if it's like a Saturday night and you're in and you like are wondering what your friends are up to and you're like oh my god they're at this party and i'm not you know it's different than hearing about it the next day than actually seeing it in real time and you're still in your pajamas mm-hmm. and you've eaten a pint Jer- pint of ben and jerry's like you know mm-hmm. an hour after whatever point being is you feel alone and mm-hmm. i think I'm, I'm really grateful in the sense of that i didn't grow up with this when i was in fifth grade thank oh, god yes. oh geez poof that would be terrible but yes you know i think that it did affect us to an extent, but I can only imagine what the younger generations are dealing with as they start with this from such a young age. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Snapchat's going to affect relationships and mental health in 
the children who like actually grew up with it as opposed to someone like me who got it, you know, when I turned like 18. Well, a fun statistics from our man Jenkins over here yes. is a quarter of Gen Z say that Snapchat is an essential part of their relationships. I, like, Oof. I, I don't understand what they mean by essential part. Well, I think, you know, I do know a lot of my friends are like, oh, yeah, Snapchat me, Snap text me. And I'm like, OK, first off, like, why the fuck are you saying Snap text me? Like, I can't un- I for- I can't see what you wrote <laughs> to me after because it goes away unless I save yeah. it. I hate Snap texting. Like, just rule number 101. Don't Snap text. Just use my goddamn number. Well, here's the thing, Glow. I just remembered this. I mean, because it goes away in 24 hours, if you're sending something that you don't want someone to have documents of you saying, you're going to send it via snap message. True. (laughs) Well, I think this has been a really interesting conversation. And so... Besides us just rambling on for the past how many minutes it's been, Mm -hmm. we wanted to kind of rewind and give you an expert perspective. Um, I had the courtesy to or pleasure to have this professor. Her name is Professor Joelle Renstrom. She is a rhetoric professor at Boston University, and she loves to study sci-fi or um, science fiction and uh, technology and how it's affected our society. So I asked her a few questions and she'll be respond and she will give us some clips about that. Um, the most noticeable characteristic people display who use technology in their lifestyles. I'm not sure there's any one characteristic because almost everyone uses phones and other technology, but uh, people who are constantly on their phones do seem to be distracted almost all the time. Um, I think they've got some information overload going on and they're thinking about texting and snapchatting and instagramming this thing or that thing and they're thinking about something they saw on social media or whatever and their minds seem to be kind of fractured into a bunch of different pieces so i have noticed that it can be tough to get people who use phones a lot to focus in on one thing and i think one thing i've noticed a lot especially with with students is that being constantly linked to a phone and to social media means that uh, people have less time to think and to reflect and they don't spend a lot of time being bored which I think is a problem because I think boredom is actually a good thing it leads to imagination and creativity and I worry that kids who grew up using you know phones and other tech all the time I mean they're not going to make up imaginary friends or make believe worlds or whatever because tech can just supply them with endless entertainment. Obviously, there's a lot of positive implications of phone use. And I do think that phones and social media, they allow for a kind of activism that I find really exciting. Um, I think about what the Parkland students uh, have been able to do with Twitter and on social media and just, you know, how much attention they got and how effectively they were able to push out their message. So being active and engaged and making a difference, especially if you're a young person, becomes so much easier if you have these these tools um, and I think that's that's a wonderful a wonderful thing. On the flip side of both of those points, you know, as much as phones and social media do connect people and bring them together, 
there is obviously sort of a, a world of, of hate and trolling and all of that um, that this technology opens up. And of course, that completely sucks. I mean, cyberbullying didn't used to be a thing, right? And now, now it is. So, you know, so that's the, that's the flip side. Studies show that younger folks and Gen Zers have a more difficult time than adults uh, telling real news from fake news or an actual piece of journalism from paid content or a sponsored ad or something like that. So in some ways, you know, younger folks are more vulnerable to some of the more insidious uses of technology. And I think that's, you know, both because they're getting it at such a young age, they don't kind of have some of the defenses that, that adults would have um, against some of that, that BS. But, but I also think that one of the things that a lot of phone and social media use tends to do is to uh, weaken people's critical thinking skills or potentially prevent them from developing in the first place. Um, and then ultimately, you know, my, my super futuristic prediction is that we will absolutely see implantable cell phones. So, you know, you could never have to worry about losing your phone again or leaving it somewhere, whatever, because it would be on you or I guess in you uh, all of the time. And I, boy, as <laughs> I really predict that within our lifetimes, um, we will see that start to happen. So, Caroline, let's talk about this. What were your thoughts about the concept of information overload? That's something that, I mean, I've certainly dealt with in my life so far, just having to know everything about every topic and just having so many sources available to you that available to you that you need to know this. It's going to like it looks silly if you don't know this. And at least with me, I I'm trying to come with to terms with having the courage to say that I don't know the answer to something because honestly, yes, we're in an age of information now and it's so easy to like find stuff online, but it's also okay to say, I don't know. Absolutely. I think what's problematic is uh, no offense to whoever likes to give out current event quizzes, <laughs> but it's not that I don't read the news, but I might not always see the headline that you're testing yeah. me on. Exactly. The amount of information that we consume is absolutely insane. Yes. And just you, you're expected to have an opinion on everything because it's all out there. Yeah, it's interesting. So a little segue into our preview sneak peek for the next episode mm. that we will be talking about is why don't young people vote? For the longest time, I as an individual was like, no, I don't want to get involved or understand who's running for the political race. I believe in voting. Mm. And I was just kind of like, well, you know, we'll do it like the Brits. The week before, I will look at the candidates. I will look at their <laughs> policies and I'll figure out which which glove fits my hand the best. But I actually have found a love for one of the candidates that's running. I really hope they make the nomination and you will tune in to find out who that is because they will be featured on our podcast. So stay tuned. However, moving back to the topic is, you know, I do I do feel like we do have information overload and I think it's overwhelming because then, you know, when you're seeing someone be so knowledgeable about something, you're like, wait, how the hell did they do that? It's especially for a major like IR, you're expected to know so much about so many current events 
all around the world. Now, that's impossible. You, There's no way that you can know every event that's going on in every country right now. And in some cases, you're kind of seen, seen as like ignorance because you don't know that this event is going on right now. Like, how could you know this, but you don't know that? But the world is a huge place. And it's like, at least this, the way I work is that I, in the way that the major set up at VU is that you specialize in a region. That's kind of how I like to view news. I mean, I try to stay update, updated with everything, but as, or as much as I can, but you don't need to be an expert in everything. There's no way you can be an expert in anything in but everything. Let's, let's deconstruct the idea about, you know, keeping up at all. You know, I, I think it's an interesting concept. I, I think I've noticed that I have a bias about when I notice that people don't know who basic figures are in politics. I used to be like that where I was like, oh my gosh, you don't know who this person is? To like, oh, okay, well, I know who this person is. I can just give you a quick rundown because I'm starting to understand that I can't know everything and neither can anyone else. So you just share your knowledge with others if they feel like looking more into it than they do. But you shouldn't be expected to know everything because you can't. Yeah, no, that's... That's so, so valid. And I think that, you know, it's finding that right, that, that, that balance about being current and up to date, but then also, you know, saying, I want to take a break today. I don't want to know what the headlines are. Mm -hmm. And I think as Gen Zers, we, we really like being current, but I think we also like having breaks too. Well, also with the current stuff, with current events, those kind of leak into our social media anyway. Yeah. So we do stay up to date with, certain like political movements certain natural disasters certain i guess milestone things that happen like we're up to date with that without reading the news yeah no it's true i mean there's a huge percentage of the population that does say social media is their number one form of the news mm -hmm. which is a little terrifying to me because <laughs> i want you know journalism to stay mm -hmm. but you know at the same time i think it's also it's it's our reality. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not a good direction, but I'm hoping Gen Z will change that and actually, you know, make the New York Times gain more subscriptions or the Wall Street Journal or whatever it is. There's so many good news sources out there that I think are really trying to bring back the integrity. Mm -hmm. But it's difficult when you have these social media platforms competing when people are just reading memes or, mm -hmm. you know, things that their friends say, but they're not necessarily accurate. Yeah. As kids, like Caroline says, we were taught, don't believe everything you read on the internet. It's like, don't go talk to a stranger. It's like the same yeah. principle. But I think the wrong generation that's so much older than us is having this issue. Yeah, even then, though, I'd say, I mean, we're not as bad just because we're taught that as well. But again, yes, this is a problem for older generations. But like, do your research anyway. Don't, yeah. don't base your knowledge off of something that, it was a meme or even like even the really in-depth like Instagram post. No, you should still supplement that. Like Absolutely. that shouldn't be your only uh, resource. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, since we're always constantly feeling in overloaded with information, getting back to this, the topic of boredom, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is where we kind of like see these parallels collide and intersect with each other in the sense of, well, I need something to look up. Okay, great. You know, I'm standing in line, you know, for at the dining hall or I'm in an elevator. Okay, I'm just going to scroll my phone and this is how we seep it in. And then, 
you know, it becomes this information overload because that's our number one default to go to mm-hmm. when we're just staring into plain air. You won't. It's so rare to like walk into a study hall lounge or walk into a classroom without having people's heads up. Unless, I mean, the, le- the lecturer is talking, you would <laughs> hope their heads are up. But I think it's a little different from us as for us as well, because we go to a city school. There's so many people and there's not much nature and you're always in a hurry to get places. You know, city life is really fast. Where I'm from in, like, the suburban area, there's so much green stuff and there's plenty of space to go on hikes. I find myself, like, I find myself less on my phone when I'm at home, honestly. So when I walk to class, I always have my earbuds in. I'm always listening to music. I just, I don't know, I feel weird if I don't. When I'm at home, I never do that. I'm If I'm, like, walking, I'm walking my dog, and I'm just walking and enjoying nature and thinking about stuff and reflecting and being, like, trans transcendentalist. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, but anyway, I think that pretty much wraps up all of our oh, yes. conversations for the day. Definitely. Um, I'm Glow Robinson. And I'm Caroline Bonnenberger. Thank you so much for listening today. Please stay tuned for our next episode with our celebrity appearance. Um, I happen to be at a rally for this particular um, presidential candidate and happen to have a little chat with him. So uh, feel free to stay tuned for that. And uh, Until yeah. next time, go on. Off is a podcast affiliated with WTBU at Boston University.